Welcome to The Carlina Show, where ordinary people share their hero's journey. I'm your host, Carlina Anglin, and this is episode 23 of the podcast. Today on the show, we have Andrea Lane. Andrea is a battalion chief with Ada County Paramedics in Idaho. You can visit the Carlina Show website at carlina.net to learn more about Andrea and a link to the show notes. From there, you can find past episodes, connect on Instagram and Facebook, and sign up for the mailing list. Thank you, Stephen Lorca, for video editing and production so we can post our episodes on the Carlina Show YouTube channel as well as the podcast. Now I bring you Andrea Lane. When did you decide to become an EMT? One of my kids was sick and I had taken him to the doctor and I, I should back up a little bit and tell you that my dad was a cop for about 10 years too, okay. before he went to doing heavy equipment stuff. He was mm-hmm. a city of Miami cop. And uh, so I kind of grew up with that whole uh, genre and mentality. And from the time I was little, I had this huge uh, desire, I guess you would call it to just help people mm-hmm. to be a catalyst and and uh, be socially responsible and mm-hmm. so I went back and forth a lot I loved animals that was my other thing I had horses I had dogs and I really loved them and uh, so I'd go back and forth between do I want to be a vet or do I want to be I always thought I'd get into law enforcement mm-hmm. and uh, so when I was overseas and pre-vet major in college, one of my kids gets sick, I take them to the doctor. There's a Time magazine sitting in the lobby in the doctor's office, and I pick it up, and there's an article in there about first responders, mm-hmm. EMS in particular. And I started reading it, and I thought, that'd be a cool job. But here I was overseas in the middle of this life, so I <laughs> put the magazine down and filed that in the back and never thought about it again. And uh, we moved to Idaho from Turkey. Mm-hmm. and uh, there's no vet school. There was no vet school here at the time, and then I started thinking about the time uh, that it would take me away from my family, and I didn't want to be away from my kids like that, so one day I saw the ambulance office in this little town, mountain home that we were in, and I thought, oh, I'm going to stop in there, and I'm just going to ask them how I go about getting a job with them, mm-hmm. So I knocked on their door and uh, they answered their door and I said, hey, how do I become a, an EMT? How do I do this? Mm-hmm. They said, oh, there's a class that just started last night. We can still get you into it. Be there mm-hmm. and then be here tomorrow morning at eight o'clock. I was like, okay. <laughs> so, uh, and this is Idaho. It was, it was winter at the time. I think it was about this time of year mm-hmm. and it was mountain home is like, was like, this really small town and the class was in another town about 30 miles away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I had to drive. So I drive 30 miles to class. I show up at the ambulance office the next morning. They said, did you get, did you go to class? Yeah, I went to class. Did you get in and get all your stuff taken care of? Yeah, I did. They gave me a radio and they gave me a pager and they Took me on a call. My first, very first call was that day, and I was hooked and never looked back. Wow. So your class, what, how long was your class? So that was just a basic EMT class, and at the time, 
I think those classes were only 12 weeks Mm -hmm. and they were in the evenings a couple nights a week. And, um, you know, basic EMT is pretty much basic first aid is what you get. Mm -hmm. So that was, that was my first step. And how old were you when you did this? I was 22. 22. Okay. And you, and you had, um, how many children? At that I had point. two two at the time. Okay. I got married young. I got married a month before I graduated high school. Um and yeah. So Okay. So what was it what was um it like in the first year or so being an EMT? Um it was pretty crazy, but it's a job that uh if you do it and you get hooked, it's like a big adrenaline rush. So it's almost like an addiction. People mm-hmm. will start doing these jo- this job and uh, they want to do it all the time, you know, to the point where they can burn themselves out really easily. Mm-hmm. And so that was, you know, that was the first thing. I definitely was addicted to it. It's uh, you have downtime, but then you never know when the next call is coming in and you never know what that next call is going to be. And when you're on the call, it's just, it's a challenge. It's mentally challenging. It's physically challenging and uh, pretty satisfying, you Mm -hmm. know, you, uh, and I think fit my personality. And that's the thing is there's, there's a personality type that Mm -hmm. does this job. And we mm-hmm. like uh, we like to make fast decisions and we like fast results and yeah. uh, a lot of people laugh and joke about it that we're ADD and <laughs> we kind of are. <laughs> so describe an, an average day. Um, an average day for me now. Um, in the I guess when you when you when you started, what was an average day like? Well, pretty much you uh, you go in to work. The off-going crew is getting off, so you generally stand around, drink some coffee and chat in the morning, laugh, a lot of dark humor, a lot of, a lot of joking, things like that that are coping mechanisms. Mm-hmm. Um, check out your equipment. Make sure everything is there that you might need for the next call because you never know when it's coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you wait. And so sometimes you can wait a long time and other times you get interrupted in the middle of what you're doing. Uh, But the call comes in and those tones drop and you just, you get an adrenaline dump and you're focused and um, Mm -hmm. away you go. Take care of the patient, get them to the hospital, get back to the station, get things in order and you're ready to go again. And that's pretty much how the days go. So how did um, how did things change from when you started out when you were in your early twenties? And are you still an EMT or did I did you retire? I'm a paramedic. Okay. I'm a paramedic now, and I'm I'm actually a battalion chief with our department. So I'm a licensed paramedic, but my primary job now is uh, managing what we call managing the system. So our whole response system. I'm responsible for it uh when I'm on shift okay. um, I've got 14 ambulances that I'm responsible for and um I make sure that they have everything that they need I make sure that if they have a problem I'm there to intervene and help them out uh, I'm there to make sure that they're doing what they're supposed mm-hmm. to be doing although most mostly 
they're pretty good employees and they work autonomously every once in a while they need some guidance um because a lot of them are 22 coming into the job right right um, um, and then go ahead. still doing medicine whenever there's a bad call, have to go to those calls and still end up doing some medicine on mm-hmm. those calls. But mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Um, so tell me, walk me through a couple days that stick out in your mind. So when you look back over your career as a EMT and paramedic, what are, what are maybe two or three days that stick out in your mind that stay with you? If you could kind of just walk me through those days. Yeah, um, I have so many, and most of them center on calls. Uh, A lot of them were calls that didn't necessarily turn out okay, but you feel like you did your best and things came together and they went well, or they're calls that, you know, something about it touched you. Maybe it was a kid that was the same age as one of yours or something. So a couple of mine, um, that very first day, that I showed up at the ambulance office uh, for work and uh, we were checking out the ambulance and my my first partner she was showing me all kinds of equipment and what they carried and what it did and we get a call and it was a call for an auto versus train Mm. and it was my very first ambulance call ever and I remember screaming down the freeway 90 miles an hour, lights and sirens going, and in the back of my mind, well, there was a uh, a report on the news probably a couple weeks before about a whole family that was killed um, by a train, which used to be a huge problem here because there were a lot of uh, railroad crossings that were not marked, Uh and um, so that was what I was thinking about. And I was like, oh, man, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can handle this. I don't know if I can see dead kids, you know, all the way out there. Mm-hmm. It turns out it was one guy and he was he had died. Um, the Life Flight helicopter had been launched and they got there about the same time as us. And I remember the medic that was on the helicopter at the time just walking me through stuff and showing me stuff and saying, this is, this is what sub Q air feels like. And, and this is what this is, and this is what this looks like. And, mm-hmm. and it was just, it was a huge learning experience. And it's kind of surreal because it was the first time I'd been around a dead person. Mm-hmm. And here we are kind of using him as a teaching tool. And uh, I still, I remember his name to this day. Uh, Every once in a while, I'll see there's a trucking company here that has his last name. And I always think of him. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, that one definitely sticks out in my mind. Mm -hmm. Um, Another one that sticks out in my mind was uh, I got called. This is several years later, but I was still working down in that small town. And we got called out to a little farming community. And it was winter and it had snowed and there was about a foot of snow on the ground, mm-hmm. maybe more, maybe a little more than a foot. Mm-hmm. And some of those driveways are real long. And so we pulled up at their house and it's super long driveway. And I told my partner who was driving, I said, uh, don't pull down the driveway because if we get stuck, then we can't get out and we can't transport the patient. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was for an infant in cardiac arrest. So I took off up the driveway. My partner was going to grab equipment and follow me up the driveway. And I got to the house and knocked on the door. And the lady opened the door. 
and she grabbed me by my coat and it was a split level house and Mm -hmm. she threw me up the first flight of stairs and I remember stumbling and I fell and she's coming at me again and I said stop I said I told her I said you need to back off if you hurt me I can't help your baby Mm -hmm. she's like I'm sorry I'm sorry and uh, just about then the grandfather comes around the corner and he's holding this baby and the baby is bluer than I've ever seen a person before and has blood all over his face. And my first thought was what happened to this baby? Mm-hmm. Grandfather told me he had done chest compressions on him. He was giving him mouth to mouth. He didn't feel like the air was going in. He said, I stuck my finger in there to open his mouth. And that's when blood started coming out. And he's like, I don't know if I nicked him with my fingernail or what. And I, I felt a little bit easier at that point, like it wasn't a child abuse situation, mm-hmm. um, which is what I was concerned about at first. Mm-hmm. I, I took the baby and um, felt for a pulse. And he had a pulse of 60, which for an infant, that's right on the verge of starting chest compressions. Mm-hmm. But uh, I thought with a baby, most of the time with kids, they go into cardiac arrest because of an airway problem. And if you can reverse the airway problem, then you can generally turn them around. Mm-hmm. Well, I still didn't have any equipment. I'm there. I didn't know what was wrong with the kid. First thing I thought of after the child abuse was meningitis or something like that. And my partner was still down at the ambulance. And I thought, I got to give this kid some breaths. I have to do mouth to mouth. And, um, so I gave him a couple breaths, started down the driveway, his heart rate came up. We transported him to the hospital, just breathing with a bag valve for him. Um, and the kid did really well. And, um, still to this day is the only person I've ever actually done mouth to mouth on. Wow. And, um, about four years later, we were traveling through and stopped at this little gas station in this town. And this lady came up to me and she was, she was like, Oh, Hey, how are you? I haven't seen you in forever. And in the back of my mind, I was like, who is this? I couldn't figure out who she was. Uh And she kept talking to me. She says, Cody's out in the car. If you want to go see him. Uh And I was like, okay. And I went out and I saw the grandmother And she had ridden in with us in the back of the ambulance. And so that's when I realized who it was. And here's this little kid. And he's four years old now. And he's fat and happy. And he's got a jelly donut. And his face is covered in jelly. And I was just like, wow. Wow. That is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And I, that call right there, and I tell everybody, I tell all my my new EMTs and paramedics, I'm like, if I never save another person again in my career, mm-hmm. I was where I was supposed to be on that day. Wow. And um, yeah, so <laughs> that call, I actually got to find out that that kid is now like 26 years old, uh, still lives in that little town, farming with his family. So that's incredible. You, know, you can't beat that. Yeah. yeah great. Just a great, great, great call. That is. So. That is. Do you have, um, tell me a couple more stories. <laughs> <laughs> I told you it's addicting. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, gosh, some other ones that I've done. Uh, I rem- I remember uh, when I got to deliver my first baby. It was right after I started with Ada County Paramedics, which is up here in Boise. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was me and my preceptor, and we 
went out, we got called out to a delivery at home and we delivered this baby and just walking on air. And uh, later on that evening, we had a cardiac arrest and we couldn't save the guy and he died. And I'll never forget my, my uh, we call him an FTO, a field training officer. Mm-hmm. He was an older guy and I respect him and I love him and we're still friends to this day and keep in contact. And uh, I'll never forget him saying, uh, one is born and another one dies. Wow. And he said, that's how it always works. Yeah. And I remember when I was a kid, I read uh, the James Harriet's novel, All Creatures Great and Small. And I remembered the saying from uh, from the Bible. And it was, you know, there's a time to live and there's a time to die. And that's kind of what went through my mind. And that that uh, passage from the Bible is, has huge meaning for me yeah. um, in this job, you know. But nice. it was it, that was kind of my first introduction to that whole uh, the Joseph Campbell's belief and the mythological uh, beliefs of life comes from death, mm-hmm. and it does. They go together. They're it's just yeah, both two yeah. different sides of the same point. Right, right. So. Um, and you had mentioned in in the Joseph Campbell group that you kind of you saw comparisons between. Um, your career as an EMT and paramedic and the hero's journey. So could you, could you talk a little bit about that? And I think now that I'm getting ready to retire, I can look at it as a journey Mm -hmm. and make that comparison. Um, You know, you definitely have your calling Mm -hmm. uh, to your adventure and it's a life of service and you either accept it or you reject it. And, um, I accepted it. And prior to that call, I remember I, I was unsure of what I wanted to do with my life and where I wanted to go with my life. And, and as soon as I accepted that challenge, my life had direction Mm -hmm. and I was following that path. Um, and I had, I had a lot of mentors, a lot of people that helped me along my, along the way. Uh, one of the biggest things I think is where you go to that dark place and you face your fears and you face your challenges and uh, then you reap the rewards for facing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, where did, where uh, did you, where did you face your challenges? Well, I think there's a lot of challenges in this job. You, um, you know, I think your first challenges are, um, for me, was being comfortable with death. I was very uncomfortable being around it and uh, being around people who are dying. And over the years, I've learned to accept it. And I've learned that uh, it is a part of life and that it doesn't have to be this horrible thing. I've seen, I've seen some really some amazing and beautiful deaths. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a call uh, one time for a cardiac arrest. We call it a code, and we showed up, and these young young kids. I say young kids; they were probably in their twenties. They answered the door, and they all had a glass of wine in their hands, and there was. 40s music playing in the background and we 
they welcomed us into their home and their dad was in a hospital bed in the living room and he had just passed away. And they said, we don't, we don't want anything done. We just didn't know what we should do. Mm -hmm. I said, all right, well, we have to call the police and we have to call the coroner because it's outside of the hospital and we have to stay here until they show up. They're like, oh, okay. And I said, would you like a glass of wine? And we're like, well, no, we can't have wine. And so they went on to tell us the story about how their dad had been sick. They thought he was going to go first, but their mom went first. And um, so they were there taking care of their dad. And one of the sons and the dad, they were supposed to have gotten on a plane that day because the dad had said he wanted to go to the beach one last time. Mm-hmm. And uh, But he ended up too sick to go, so they can't, you know, they had to back out of it and uh and um they told us this story of uh how he was just such an amazing person and the things that he had done for them and how they stayed there and sat by his side when he took his last breath and it was just super inspirational you know yeah uh, it was just one of those things I was like this is how death should be this is how it should be and um, we fight so hard sometimes to save people that we probably shouldn't because we're just putting them through more suffering. But again, that's a test because that's your morality that you're pitting against somebody else's. And I, I've come to understand the difficult decision that that is mm-hmm. and to respect people's decisions that they make. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there's always tests uh, a lot of times you face things that that scare you immensely uh, you have to go into situations where there are violent people and take care of them you have to go into houses that are so filthy that you don't even want to touch anything but you have to go in there and you have to treat the person who lives there with respect and with dignity and you have to take care of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, there's, there's a lot of challenges like that, that you have to face and cross that threshold and uh, come out the other side. And just cha- a lot of my beliefs have been challenged throughout the years. And I've changed a lot of my beliefs based on some of the things I've seen and some of the things I've gone through. And Like um, what, like what, for example? Oh, um, uh, things like uh, drug abuse and addiction. Uh, you know, I came into this job thinking that only, you know, really bad people were addicted and people that didn't care and people. And you come into this and you see people that uh, are just like you, except they have this problem. Mm-hmm. And people that you would never expect to have it. And you start to realize that. Uh, this is out of their control and how much it can ruin lives. And um, uh, we used to pick up a guy that was homeless and he was one of our regulars. We have people that we call regulars. They call us all the time. Mm-hmm. And he was always drunk when we picked him up. And uh, I was working with a gal one time. She was one of the first paramedics, uh, one of the first females to ever become a paramedic in the nation. Mm-hmm. And I had the honor of working with her and we went out on this guy one day and we took him to the hospital and we dropped him off. And, uh, she was, uh, she had gone to a, uh, pretty prestigious college back East and, um, was, was 
pretty classy lady, you know, and I, I respected her a lot. And we took this guy to the hospital and we got in the ambulance and she said, I went to school with him. Oh, wow. And I said, really? I was really surprised. And I said, you went to school with him? I said, was he like that back then? And she said, no, he was a normal kid, just like the rest of us. Wow. And I was like, wow, that's kind of blew me away. And I always told people that, and I'd pick him up after that and kind of look at him a whole lot different. And um, I remember when he died, we read his obituary in the paper, and um, we found out that uh, he had a wife, and he had kids, and he had this whole other life. And, you know, to this day, I don't know what happened to him to make him end up on the streets and um, addicted to alcohol. Mm-hmm. but uh, it just makes you think about people differently and about that situation a whole lot differently. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. What were some other ways that your beliefs were challenged? Um, <clears throat> like I said, I, you know, the, the belief that uh, you start out thinking that you're going to save everyone and uh, you find out, real early on that that's out of your hands that you can't save everyone um so that's a big one that uh gets challenged Mm -hmm. Uh, the fact that you have control and you learn that you really don't have control Mm -hmm. and uh, it's completely out of your hands and from one minute to the next life can change Mm -hmm. so you're either ready for it and accept it or you fight against it and a lot of people fight against it Uh, quite a bit Mm -hmm. I've learned to kind of accept those and uh, it's not always easy but you go on and you move to the next phase of your life Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so did you notice that you saw an increase in substance abuse calls later on in your career was there a change in the number yeah we see a huge number of substance abuse calls a lot of um now our biggest problem is uh, prescription narcotics and heroin mm-hmm. um, and those are immensely uh, dangerous mm-hmm. uh, uh, drugs at this point in time mm-hmm. um, and we go out on a lot of uh, kids that are using them I've, I've gone out on families where they've gone upstairs and found their son or daughter dead and it's just heartbreaking it really is. Wow. And to watch these families struggle and they try to do everything that they can, but you can't, you can't change someone. They have to want to change themselves. And mm-hmm. uh, I guess that's another belief that I have held that was challenged. You're, you're not going to force somebody to change. Mm-hmm. Um, that they, they have to find the desire to do that within themselves. Mm-hmm. And, uh, what a what a difficult thing for a parent to watch that going on and not be able to do anything about it. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Has your career um, taken a toll on your emotional health? Um, it has off and on. Uh, there have been times where I've been uh, pretty low, but I I think that. Um, I think through my beliefs, I have learned to cope with it and to deal with it. Like I said, I, I've learned that uh, 
you don't get just the good or just the bad. You get them both together and you can't have one without the other. And so I think it's been a little easier for me to accept that. And um, when I do have, I, I just had um, a week that I just had a horrific week at work. And, um, you know, I dealt with a uh, I dealt with an active shooter situation with kids involved and I had a baby in cardiac arrest and then had to deal with uh, my friend's husband dying, who was also one of our paramedics. And it happened while I was on shift. And so we were dealing with that. And then the very next morning before I got off to uh, off of work, um, had a 17 year old that hung herself and her mom found her and Yeah. You know, and I just, I got off work and I was just, I was exhausted and things are always worse when you're tired. And, um, I, I kept thinking, you know, I could retire early. I could retire, I could leave now. It's not going to hurt me that bad. I don't have Mm -hmm. to stay until April. I can leave now. And I drove home. I live about four hours from down here where I work. So I'm only down here on the, you know, the days that I'm working. And then I'm up North in North Idaho on my days off. And, uh, my husband is a retired Boise firefighter mm-hmm. and, uh, just great at holding space for me and letting me vent. Um, and by the next morning when I woke up, I felt a whole lot better and could kind of process everything that went on. And, and, um, Uh, so I think, you know, you have to sometimes just sit with those feelings and with being upset and just experience it and process it. And then, you know, Uh just remember it, let it, you know, you don't ever forget, um, but try to use that as a, a positive thing in your life. Uh How do you and your coworkers support each other? Uh, we talk a lot. We uh, harass each other a whole lot, like a bunch of school kids. It's <laughs> terrible. <laughs> um, what do you mean by harass each other? Oh, practical jokes. Uh, everybody, we, we have a saying, show us your weakness and we'll exploit it. Um, <laughs> so, but, but everybody knows that it's done in jest and we care about each other. And when the chips are down, that you can count on each other. Um we do. I we do use alcohol uh, a lot of times to numb it, and I I'll say that it's become a bigger problem in our department in the recent in the last few years. I think um, because there's a lot there are a lot of people that are probably misusing uh-huh. alcohol uh, for that purpose, uh-huh. and so we've been dealing with some of that. Uh, we do have a peer counseling team of which I'm a part. And we have several counselors that we uh, send people to. We had, uh, oh, it's probably been about, I think it's been four years now, but we had two of our medics uh, take their own lives within a year of each other. Oh, wow. And it, and it really opened our eyes to uh, the fact that this job does take a toll and we have to be there for people and um, it's, it's become a big thing now in, uh, responder circles. It, everybody's talking about the number of suicides, police officers, firefighters, and paramedics, and, uh, trying to, um, 
focus on uh, helping them mm-hmm. and uh, making it not such a, it, for a long time, it was such a um, taboo thing to admit that you were having a problem with a call you went on or with life in general. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think we've made huge strides in getting people to open up and and uh, admit it and seek help. And so hopefully, hopefully we'll uh, mm-hmm. start seeing those numbers come down because nationwide they've risen. They're pretty bad. So, and, and why do you, do you think it's because of the stress of the job or has something changed in the past few uh, years? You know, my personal beliefs and I, and I went back to school and I, um, this is gonna. This is kind of my focus for when I retire. Is is helping these new medics that are coming up and and trying to help them get through some of these hurdles and things. Um, okay. My belief is that uh, yeah, the job does affect us, but even more so, uh, life affects people. Mm-hmm. And so while they're dealing with these bad calls and this stuff going on, um, at work, they're also dealing with financial issues at home, relationship issues at home, problems with children at home, uh, past childhood trauma is coming back to haunt people. I and mean, we all have these, uh, things going on in our lives. My own personal belief is that we get very comfortable with death cops, firemen, uh, and, uh, paramedics and EMTs, we get very comfortable with death and we not only get comfortable with it, you'll hear us say it over and over again. There are things that are worse than death. And so we kind of learn that it's not the worst thing in the world. And so I think that we go to that place a lot quicker, Mm -hmm. um, when things get really bad. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of my focus with uh, when I talk to people is, you know, they, when you're dead, you're, you're dead, but you don't realize how it impacts everybody else that uh, is still there. Mm-hmm. And so that's some of the stuff that we talk about. But, so yeah. <clears throat> what would you say to a new paramedic or a new first responder just starting out like what give me an example of something that you would say to them to just well yeah go ahead the the new people that start under me and and also I I have a son he's he's my youngest um I now I have four kids now and my my son is my youngest and uh he's a police officer he's been on the job now for two years and um so I've said these same things to him um Uh, First thing is, this job will change you. You won't look at life the same. Um, But then I always point out that uh, we we have the saying for years and years and years, people used to say, uh, we see people at their worst. And we do see people at their worst. Mm -hmm. But we also see people at their best. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that you have to focus on. Um, and you have to realize that without the worst, there you wouldn't ever have the best because it wouldn't. Uh, those people wouldn't have to act, and they wouldn't have to do the things that they do. Um, and uh, so, you know, you have to accept that worst for what it is. Mm-hmm. It's a catalyst. It's a lesson. Uh, 
um, focus on the good stuff. If you are having trouble, talk it out. Talk to somebody. Feel what you're feeling, but talk to somebody. There's a great new technique out there that they're using now called EMDR, um, and I highly recommend it to a lot. I just sat at sat at the hospital at the breakfast table with three of my crews yesterday morning telling them about EMDR and urging them, you know, if you, if you're having trouble and if you need help, go see this counselor and they do this and it can help. Mm -hmm. Can you, can um, you describe briefly like what is EMDR? uh, Yeah. So they've done a lot of research about what happens in a traumatic situation and, um, uh, basically the pathways of the brain that move things uh, to your long-term memory don't get activated. They, they don't develop even for that particular memory. Mm-hmm. And so that stays in your short-term memory. And so you end up with this loop where the feelings and the entire um, scene that you've seen, you you feel like it's still occurring. And so that's why you get people that have flashbacks or they'll smell something and they, and they go right back into that, uh, whatever the traumatic event was. And what EMDR is, is it's a method that activates both hemispheres of your brain and it allows those connections from your, basically it's from your amygdala into your long-term memory. So you still, you still remember the incident, but it's not right there in your face. Like it's still going on. It's in your long-term memory. And so you can kind of bring it up and realize that that's not happening to you right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes it a whole lot easier for people to deal with situations like that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so what's, what's next for you? You said that you're retiring in April. Is that right? Yep. April 16th is my last day. Okay. And so what's, what's next for you after that? Um, so my, well, first of all, taking care of myself. Uh, so a lot of travel, we're buying a motor home, uh, going to do quite a bit of traveling and, and enjoying ourselves. I, for me, for my, my bliss, my release is, uh, working with, uh, herding dogs. I have border collies and I compete with them in sheep and cattle dog trials. And, uh, so I'm planning on doing a whole lot more of that. Uh, my husband loves it. He doesn't, uh, work dogs, but he likes to go and watch me work mine and, uh-huh. uh, enjoy all of our friends that do that and everything. Um, and then there's the, um, I, I, the helping other responders. And I've become involved with a group here in Idaho, first responder, uh, health and wellness collaborative. Mm-hmm. And that's one of our primary focuses is mental, uh, health, for responders in the state of Idaho. So I've been doing some work with them, uh, doing a lot of research. Um, I'll have a blog out there um, and uh, things like that, just uh, trying to give back a little bit to a job that I think gave me so much. Yeah, yeah. Well, cool. Is there anything else that you wanted to share? Anything else that people should know about life as as a EMT paramedic? Um, just that it's, it's a great job. Um, 
you witness some of the most profound moments of human existence doing that job. And uh, it just makes you really appreciate the things in your life. And uh, um, yeah, it's just been a great job. Great career choice. I, I recommend it to people who ask me about it. Yeah. Okay. Well, good, good. Well, thank you so much, Andrea, for sharing your your journey and your insights and and everything i feel like i've, I've learned a lot about that career so um so thank you oh, you're welcome <laughs> i enjoyed it